Good morning. Welcome to Central Church. As you know, our sermon series has been breaking down. Our, well, today is the final day, the seventh sermon in this series, in many ways representing the seventh day when the children of Israel were to march around the walls seven times and, and hear the priests blast their, their horns and the people to give a shout and the day of victory when the walls came down. But I wonder how those children of Israel felt on that seventh morning when they were getting ready and when they were lining up to, to, to march around the city. Were they saying, all right, today is victory day. It's our, it's our championship day. It's our Super Bowl. God is going to work in a great way. It's a miracle day. Did they say that? Or were they saying, wow, this is going to be our hardest day. We've got to make not just one lap around Jericho. We've got to make seven laps around Jericho. But after we do that, the priests are going to blow their trumpet and we're going to give a mighty shout. And God said that, that the walls are going to come down. Then we're going to rush in. It's going to be a hard day, but, but it's going to be a, a victorious day. Did they say that? Or were they saying, wow, we've marched around this city for, for the last six days, haven't seen much action, kind of looked foolish doing it. Now we have to march around seven times today, and the priests are going to blow their trumpet, and we're supposed to yell. And I guess maybe, maybe, maybe we hope, we hope, hope, hope that God will come through, but I don't know. I haven't seen it. What do you do when it doesn't look like victory is coming? See, maybe in your personal Jericho, you're at that point. Maybe you've done everything that we've talked about. You've followed all these steps already. You've, you've shrunk your problem down to size. You know that God is bigger than your problem. You've done your best to try to follow God's plans. You know God's plans are the best plans. You've tried to make it a holy endeavor. You've lined up your will the best you can with, with what you know to be God's will. You've surrounded yourself with, with godly people. My goodness, you're at Central Church. No better place to be on a Sunday morning. You're here. That's good. You, you've said, I won't quit. I'm going to keep on, keep on, keep on, keep on. You've obeyed the best you can. You, you followed. But here we are today, seventh day. Will God come through on our personal Jerichos? Will today be a, a day of mighty victory or a day of humiliating defeat? Will God come through? This week, I tried to think of the most difficult situation in the Bible, the, the most hopeless, the most tragic, where the person in the Bible is facing a personal Jericho and, and maybe doesn't have much faith or prays a lousy prayer or something, but they're, they're just worn down by their circumstance, their personal Jericho. Anybody here worn down by your, no hands? I mean, you know God can work, but will he? You know, God can do all things, but you haven't seen it. What then? Well, Mark 9 is your chapter. Mark 9 contains one of the most remarkable events in the life of Jesus. It's a story in the event that we call the transfiguration. That's when Jesus and his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, went up with Jesus to the top of the mountain. And Luke, when he is telling this account, tells us that as they were praying, Jesus changes transfigured. This is how Luke says it. He says, as he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. I like the way Mark describes this event. Mark says, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. He never met Carla, of course, but I used to call her the bleach queen because she would bleach and it would be bleachy white. And sometimes the bleach would splash over on something else and then that would be kind of bleachy. 
But Mark seems to be impressed. Maybe he helped his mom back in the day, you know, and, and he knew how bleach worked. And Jesus was brighter than bright, whiter than white, whiter than any Tide or Clorox or anything else could get. He was dazzling white. And the Bible goes on to say that up on that mountain, Jesus had conversation with Moses and Elijah. How did, how did they know that it was Moses and Elijah? They didn't have their phone on their, uh, uh, they didn't have pictures on their phone. I don't know how they knew, but they knew. And then the most remarkable thing happened. Luke, or Mark, Mark says it this way, then a cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. Just imagine that. Imagine you're Peter, James, and John. You're up on the mountain transfiguration. Jesus, whiter than white, has conversation with Moses and Elijah. And then, hearing the voice of God, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Wow. Think of the greatest worship service you have ever been in. Multiply it by, I don't know, 10 billion. That's what's happening with Peter and John and, and James. It was awesome. In fact, it was so awesome that Peter said, man, let's just stay up here forever. This is the greatest thing ever. Let's just stay here forever and ever. We'll build, we'll build shacks up here. This is awesome. But Jesus knew that his mission wasn't to come to earth and hang out on the top of a mountain. No, his, earth was, was, his mission was a little bit more, more, more intense than that, and he had to go down the mountain, and that's what they do. So Peter, James, John, and Jesus head down the mountain. No doubt, the three disciples are just a buzz. I can't wait. I can't wait to tell Andrew what we just experienced. This is the greatest thing ever. Can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. But no sooner do they get down the mountain, before they even have a chance to tell the other nine disciples what happened. They get down there, and, and the other nine disciples and the religious leaders from that town are, are in a deep conflict. They're arguing. What are they arguing about? They're arguing about a dad who's facing a personal Jericho. It seems the dad's problem is not about himself, but his son. The boy isn't just sick. He doesn't have chicken pox. It's not measles. No, Mark paints a very gruesome picture of what's taking place in, the, in, in this boy. He says the boy is foaming at the mouth, gnashing his teeth, thrown to the ground by an evil spirit. It's bad. This is, this is about as far removed from the Mount of Transfiguration as you can possibly get, right? They had this mountaintop. This is my son, holy, holy, holy moment. And they come down to earth real fast because this is just kid foaming at the mouth, gnashing the teeth, being, being controlled by an evil spirit. And parents, you parents, you know, you know, you know, you know, when your kid is in trouble, you're in trouble. When, it, when it's your, your child and you're helpless to do anything about it, that's an awful place to be. And then you can sense the frustration and the defeat in the dad's voice. When in verse 18 of that ninth chapter of Mark, he says to Jesus, I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit. They couldn't do it. Imagine this dad's anguish. Other dads teach their children to grow and mature. Other dads have fun with their kids, play with them, teach them, not this guy. Instead of watching his son grow, he's been watching his son suffer. Instead of teaching him the basics of life, he's just hoping he'll survive another day. We're told that the evil spirit would throw this poor boy into the water or into a fire in an attempt to kill him. Can you imagine that? 
put yourself in, in that dad's sandals. You're all, you'd always be on the edge. Where can you go? You don't know what's going to happen next. When's the next shoe going to drop? When you think it's as bad as it could possibly get, it gets worse. And this poor dad, he's desperate. So he goes to the nine disciples, says, man, you've got to help us. Can you help us? But they don't do anything. And to add insult to injury, instead of, of helping, instead of offering a bit of compassion, it seems that the other nine disciples and the religious leaders in the town get into this argument over the guy and his son. I mean, this is a case, perfect case study in overcoming personal Jerichos. It's exhibit A, the dad, exhibit B, the son. But then comes Jesus, right down from this mountaintop experience. There have been a few uh, worship services where I've been in, where it's been powerful, powerful, powerful service. Not, not you know, Mount Transfiguration powerful, but pretty awesome service. And sometimes, after a powerful service, I'll be, you know, standing out in the foyer or someplace or another church, you know, do, doing whatever, and someone will come up to me and say, oh, pastor, the toilet's overflowing again. We have got to do something about the toilets. Or, oh, pastor, did you see the worship folder? They spelled my name wrong. How am I supposed to worship the Lord when I've got two E's in my last name and there's only one E? I'm only exaggerating, like, like a little bit. Not, not much. You know, and it's just like, whoosh, poor cold. Well, you know, were you in the same worship service that I was in? Are you kidding me? And you get the sense that it's Jesus. He's just come from this huge mountaintop experience. You can't get any better. And in verse, in verse 19, Jesus says, you faithless people, how long must I put up with you? How long must I, how, how long must I, I, I be with you? You don't see Jesus frustrated in the scriptures much, but it seems like he's kind of frustrated right here. And he finally says, all right, bring me the boy. Not what are you arguing about? Not who's right, who's wrong, blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Bring me the boy. So the boy is brought to Jesus. And when the evil spirit sees Jesus, the boy's thrown into convulsions. And Jesus, Jesus says, well, how, how long have you been dealing like this? And the dad says, since he's a little boy. I mean, this has been going on his whole life. And after getting a few more details from the dad, who's so desperate, so tired, so worn out, the dad finally says this, have mercy on us, help us, if you can. In English, it's not nearly as negative as what it is in the Greek. In the Greek, this dad is saying, have mercy on us, help us, if you can, but I don't think you can. In fact, I think this one's out of your league. Your disciples couldn't do anything. No one's been able to do anything. If you can do a little bit, I guess that would be all right, but help us if you can. I don't think you can. I really don't. I mean, oh, why, why would you be different from anybody else? No one has been able to help us. If you can, that'd be great. <laughs> but I don't think you can. Here's a guy facing his personal Jericho and he's thinking, this is the way it is. This is the way it's always going to be. I mean, yes, God could do something, but, 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 but so far God hasn't chosen to do anything. 
That's just the way it is. Maybe the Israelites were thinking that same thing on day seven as they're lining up to march around Jericho for seven times. God hasn't done anything yet. The last six days hasn't done anything yet. I, I, I know we're supposed to march around these walls and I know God can, he can, he could have done it on day one. <laughs> hasn't done it yet. Or maybe as you're staring down your personal Jericho, you're saying, I've prayed and prayed and prayed, hasn't done anything yet. If God were gonna do something, he'd have done it by now. See, this faithful dad, he doesn't sound very courageous. He doesn't sound very faithful. If you can, I don't think you can. If you could by chance, you know, maybe. And notice the personal pronouns he uses in verse 22. He says this, have mercy on us, help us. You English majors know, he, he's not saying, Jesus, help my boy, help him, help my son. No, he's saying, help us. I'm in the same boat, Jesus. Yeah, it's my boy that's in trouble, but I'm in the same boat. I'm the one that tries to rescue him from the fire. I'm the one that's there when he jumps in the water. I'm the one that sees him convulsing on the ground and see him foaming at the mouth. It's not just my boy, Jesus. You've got to help us if you can, and I don't even think you can. Again, every, every parent who's ever had a sick kid or a troubled kid or a wayward kid or a problem kid, you know exactly where this dad is. It doesn't matter if they're six months or 16 or 60. You know exactly where this guy is. Personal Jericho, help us. We're in this together, Jesus, help us. If you can do anything, I don't think you can, but could you help us? See, when facing personal Jerichos, when needing a mighty victory, when you're not expecting a victory, when you have more doubts than faith, more, more questions than answers, more resignation than, than courage. My question is, does God hear such wimpy, faithless, flimsy prayers? If you can, I doubt if you can, but if you can, does God hear that? Do you have to be a mighty, faithful prayer when you're staring down your personal Jerichos? God, I know you're going to work. I know you are. I know you are. I know you are. That's not the way this guy was praying. I mean, this guy is as far removed from that as he possibly can get. He's nowhere close to the lady in Mark 5. Do you remember the lady in Mark 5? She was the lady that had a bleeding disorder and, and, and for 12 years couldn't be around crowds, but she heard that Jesus was coming and there was a crowd. She didn't care. She just went through the crowd. She, didn't, she, she was so faithful, she thought, I don't even need to talk to Jesus. I don't even need to say anything to Jesus. If I, just grab, if I just grab at the bottom of his coat, that's all I need because Jesus is so powerful. He's gonna heal me. That's all I need to do. I just gotta get through, grab Jesus, no chit-chat, no anything, just grab him and I'll be well. This guy's a far cry from her. If you can do something, I don't think you can, Jesus. I mean, if you, if you can... Does, does God hear such wimpy, faithless prayers? I mean, this, this is probably the worst prayer request in the whole Bible. And you can't, find, you can't find a worse prayer than this guy's prayer in the entire Bible. Does God hear such lousy prayers? You better be, you better be glad he does. I mean, I know some giant prayers. 
And I'm so thankful for prayer warriors. I mean, there's some people that I've been around, they can pray and it seems like they touch heaven every time they pray. And it's just, it's the glory of God comes and it's awesome. And I'm thankful for those folks. But I think when push comes to shove, when we're facing big issues, personal Jerichos, walls are high and they seem to be closing in, especially when it's gone on like this dad for years and years and years, a lot of us are more like the dad than the lady in Mark 5. We're, we're more like him who admits in verse 24 of that ninth chapter, he says, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. I want to be faithful, but I don't have a lot of faith. I want to trust Jesus, but I, I'm just so worn out. I want to have courage, but this has just been going on for so long. You see what's happening here, don't you? This dad is being honest. He's, he's open. There's no masks. There's no pretense. When your kid is convulsing on the ground and you've got no hope, there's, all that stuff goes out the window. You know, uh, good appearance is long since gone. He's not, he's not putting on a happy face for Jesus. He's not, he's not sugarcoating what's going on. No, he's straightforward, open book. This is where I'm at, Jesus. My kid's in trouble and so am I. I want to believe, but quite frankly, I don't have much faith. Can I tell you? That's what God wants from us. He wants our honesty. God already knows what's going on in your heart and life. You know, he doesn't need some phony religiosity out of you. He wants your honesty. Jesus, this is where I'm at. I acknowledge that it's, it's, this situation is bigger than me. I can't figure it out. I can't do anything about it. I can't, I'm, I'm in trouble here, Jesus. My personal, night, my personal Jericho has become a personal nightmare, and I don't know the way out. Have you been there? Maybe you're there right now. Listen, God doesn't need fancy words. God's never been into show. When God looks at your heart, what does he see? Someone who's, who's trying their best, struggles, or someone who's trying to, you know, fake his way through it. This dad, this dad needs Jesus. He needs a miracle. Maybe you do too. And in case you're wondering, Jesus works miracles. The rest of the story goes like this. When Jesus saw the crowd of onlookers growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you're, you're, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear or speak, I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed, threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd of people saying, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. Woohoo! Victory! Jesus works a miracle. Help the boy, help the dad. Woo! Awesome! But the disciples are left scratching their head. They're a little bit confused. You remember, they prayed for the guy, for the kid, and nothing happened. So they go to Jesus. Why couldn't, why couldn't we drive out that evil spirit? Now, you'd expect Jesus to say, Well, boys, I'm Jesus, you're not. But that's not what he says. In fact, Jesus seems to imply that they could have. He, he says, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. Well, that makes sense. As we say that all the time. You gotta pray, you gotta pray. You're facing a personal Jericho, you gotta pray. Pray, 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 pray. Prayer is the key. We say that all the time. Of course it is. Only problem, the, the, the only, only one that I can see prayed in this story wasn't the disciples, wasn't Jesus, he just chased the demon out, gone. Certainly wasn't the religious leaders in the town. 
Well, the only prayer is this flimsy, weak, meager, horrible, worn out, tired, not very courageous. Jesus, if you can do something for my boy, I don't think you can. What's my point? God is more moved by our hurt than our eloquence. Prayer is not so much about saying it perfectly. It's about going to the perfect one. You see, the power of prayer is, is in the one who hears it, not in the one who says it. What's that mean for you and me? What, your prayer, maybe, your, maybe, maybe your prayers are awkward. Maybe your prayers really, honestly, you, you've been worn out by this Jericho that you've been facing maybe for months and months or years and years. And so maybe you've just, just all but given up hope. I know God can work, but he sure hasn't done anything yet. And maybe when you start to pray, oh, Satan hops on your shoulder and says, are you kidding me? You're going to pray for that again? Nothing's happened yet. And it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. Look at who you are. Look at all the stuff you've done. You think God's going to hear you? You think God's going to answer you? Ha! You're out of luck, pal. And my short response to that, it's a deeply theological term, phooey. That is a lie straight from the pits of hell. God hears you. When you're facing personal Jerichos, even when they've gone on months and months, maybe years, God hears you. Even when your prayers aren't very courageous, God hears you. Even when your prayers aren't very faithful, when they're full of doubts, God hears you. Like a good father, he brings the victory. That's our word for the day, it's victory. He brings the victory in your personal Jerichos, not because of the words we use, not because uh, we're, we're always theologically correct, not because we're perfect always in our actions and our attitudes. God brings the victory because of his great love and he is a God of victory. And the walls come down, the walls came down around Jericho, not because the people were, were so perfect, the walls came down around Jericho because, because God worked a miracle that day. When we lived on Genesee Road, when I was pastor in Richfield, Back behind our house, we built a BMX track. My boys were young, and they liked to, you know, they would ride their bikes out there, and they'd go riding and jumping and all this stuff, and sometimes falling. And, you know, they had a, every day, they'd come home from school, vroom, 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 go around the BMX track. Imagine, imagine if they had fallen. Imagine if they fell out there, and they're lying in the dirt and the mud or whatever, and they go say something like, like, hey, Dad, get out here right now. I've fallen. Would I stand in the back of my house and say, I'm not coming out there until you say it right? No. I'd run out there, right? You'd grab him, you'd pick him up, you'd brush him off, you'd make sure there's no bone, broken bones, you know, a little blood. Ah, that's a, you'll, you won't, it won't kill you. Get back on that bike and get going again. I think that's what God the Father says to us. You don't have to ask it, right? This isn't, this isn't hocus pocus. This isn't making a request to Santa Claus. This is God Almighty we're talking about. He's a father that loves you. He's not gonna say, hey, you didn't ask it right. You didn't say it right. You don't have enough faith yet, sorry. What this story shows us is when we're facing our personal Jerichos and when all that we can muster is, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you can do anything. I don't think you can. The power isn't in the prayer. The power is in the Savior. And he can bring victory. He can bring victory to any situation. If the miracle of Mark 9 teaches anything, it's, 
It's even when we can't verbalize it. And when we pray and pray and pray, nothing's happened yet. When we keep falling in the same old pattern, same old habits, same old things, blah, 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 over and over. Can Jesus work? Hear me. Yes! A thousand times, yes! Whatever the burden, whatever the need, whatever the issue, whatever the hang-up, whatever the, 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 the pain, the problem, there is no personal Jericho that he can't bring victory to. God can handle your toughest situations. God can handle your darkest night. God can bring victory when you think there's no victory. God can bring victory when you think you're gonna throw in the towel. God can bring victory. That's who our God is. He works in powerful ways. Just like the troops surrounding Jericho on, on, on that seventh day, God brought victory. You need to hear God brings victory. My dad was a drunk, fall through the door drunk. My mom had asked for a divorce. But he was facing a, a Jericho. He loved my mom even though he was an alcoholic and a lousy husband and a lousy father. And so he found himself in a Nazarene church on a Sunday night and he didn't go to an altar, nothing like that. He went home and by his bed when he hadn't prayed ever in his life, probably a lot like this guy in Mark 9. Jesus, if you can do anything with a drunk like me, whose wife wants out, and I don't blame her. If you can do anything, I don't think you can because our whole family's a mess. Could you help me? And that night, God transformed my dad. It was three years before I was born. Had my dad not prayed that prayer, had God not worked in his life, I never would have been born. My parents would have gotten divorced. Who knows what would have happened to my sisters and brother. But God worked. So by the time I came along, my dad was, he was the old saint in the church. He did everything back in those. We attended a little Nazarene church. And so he was on the church board. He taught Sunday school class. Our family, it wasn't just him. We were all the church janitors. We mowed the church lawn. We did, you know, everything. Whenever someone would sing like the choir sang earlier today, Victory in Jesus... Every single time. I mean, every single time. Victory in Jesus was sung. My dad, this comes naturally to me, I guess. It was like the waterworks were turned on and he would be bawling. He couldn't get the words out. He knew he was facing a personal Jericho. His life was a mess. His wife wanted out. He knew there is victory in Jesus. If God could take a drunk and a guy on the verge of divorce and totally, completely transform him. There was victory in Jesus. Lord, thank you that we can have victory in Jesus. That our toughest circumstance is not a problem for you. That when we follow your plans and make it a holy endeavor and surround ourselves with Christian friends and decide that we are not going to quit, we are going to obey, we'll see victory come in those personal Jerichos, that you get the final word. You're the king of all. We're going to trust you. So thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.